0: This is Suno India production. You
1: can now listen to all our episodes on our Android and iPhone app. Download it now.
0: This mini series has been made possible by a grant from the Thakur Family Foundation. Thakur Family Foundation had no editorial control on these episodes. Sometime last year, I spoke to Dr. Mithali Sethi, an IAS officer from the 2017 batch. When the lockdown was imposed, she was posted as a project officer for the Integrated Tribal Development Project, also known as ITDP, in Dharni village in Melgaat of Maharashtra's Amravati region. This village is special because it became the first village to reach the 100% vaccination status when the vaccine was rolled out for the above 45-year-old's population. Hi, welcome to Talking Right, our mini-series which traces how communication and awareness was handled in the ongoing COVID pandemic. I am Padma Priya, host of this series and co-founder of Suno India. Dr. Sethi is an enthusiastic officer and is currently serving as a Chief Executive Officer of Zilla Parishad in Chandrapur district of Maharashtra. She shared with me the strategies she employed to spread awareness about COVID, mid bust about the disease, and also increase the uptake of vaccination when there was a lot of skepticism about it. Here is her story.
1: I was posted as SDM when uh, the pandemic hit and the lockdown was announced. That's probably February end in 2021, and uh, I was just probably just doing our regular work. And there are a lot of uh, things happening where where you know we were meeting people, and of course, I mean in Dharni. Uh, the situation was not as bad as uh, uh, the urban areas at that point of time. It uh, For us, the pandemic peaked a little later uh, in the time. And that was good for us. I mean, because we could, you know, take precautionary measures before uh, the pandemic came in. Uh, but yeah, a lot of work that we were doing got affected. And um, in other ways, I feel like tribal areas have a lot of vulnerability uh, inbuilt in terms of public health accessibility, in terms of nutritional parameters. So for us, small things like anganwadi shutting down or public health, and it was not as much as uh, services uh, going down. It was more to do with the fear and panic that was there for for the field functionaries because they said, you know, now how do we go to different places? For the benefit of everybody listening uh, to the podcast, I must uh, paint a picture of, you know, how Melghat is. Because Melghat is actually uh, like a, like the geography is like a big fat, uh, yeah. So you have like huge geographical area, uh, scattered settlements, um, difficult uh, terrains, because we have a core tiger reserve that is inbuilt within Melghat. And therefore, uh, we don't have permissions to, let's say, build the sort of roads we built in other areas, uh, the light and the water, So, there are these issues and therefore, even to navigate to places like these otherwise also, I mean, without the pandemic also is quite difficult. So, with the lockdown and all that, there were a lot of challenges that we faced.
0: Could you tell us a bit more about what were some of the challenges that you faced
1: during the first uh, wave? Yeah. So, um, I mean, during the first wave, my major challenge was to actually implement the lockdown and not so much as, you know, handle... A lot of cases because cases were very sporadic and I feel for the for the scattered settlements the scatterness is actually good you know because we did not have a lot of population density not a lot of people moving to one place every day so for us it was like one central market area that we had to control and say that you know if we are controlling this market area then we are controlling a lot of crowding that's actually happening um, apart from that, of course, when the cases start happening, it becomes very difficult because of geography, because then uh, in my mind, the logic was that if one person in the village gets a case, then I have to seal off the entire village. So I still remember when we had the first case of COVID and we actually uh, sealed the entire village, then we, you had you have to, you know, put two police personnel for one single village. Because it's not one area, it's not a contiguous area. So you are actually talking about one village that's here, one village that's there. It's like a tribal hamlet, the padas that we uh, call them. So now uh, the question is that if you're sealing a village, then you have to ensure supply for people and you have to make all of those arrangements and tell them that, you know, the food that you need for the next 14 days. Uh, There were people who used to go to agricultural fields and they were, you know, we've sowed something and now, now we need to water it. So we had to, you know, find those alternatives, give them phone numbers. And then we used to have uh, two people from each village who would sort of coordinate uh, public health facilities. Then we had to put PHC people in charge. And then, of course, there were compliance issues. I mean, everybody who was quarantined had to stay inside the house. So the public health people would uh, put these things on people's houses and some people would just throw it off. Like, you know, it was difficult for us to even tell people how uh, severe this is, how serious this is. And, you know, in fact, even in the second wave, we did not have people die with a lot of symptoms. It would just suddenly get severe. People would be normal, sardi khansi, cough cold. And then suddenly one day their respiratory will drop and then they would have to be transferred, which is very difficult. Because for me, subdivisional hospital from a particular village in some cases can be four and a half hours away in a very difficult terrain. So for them to, you know, find an oxygen concentrator near them, sometimes became impossible until, you know, in the second wave, we were like, you know, let's give oxygen concentrators to PHCs. And in some of our villages, which are in core, going to even PHCs is like eight eight kilometers of uh, very, very difficult terrain. So, you know, uh, geography was, was my biggest challenge. The second challenge was connectivity. There's a lot of areas that I have do not even have telephonic connectivity. So then how do, you know, people inform uh, that all of these things are happening? The third challenge was with field workers getting panicked that, you know, we would also not go to villages now. So if people are not telling us things, then at least administration has to outreach and say that uh, we have to sort of reach people. And. Uh, do all those things so even administration was not being able to reach and we had all these committees in the villages sarpanch and anganwadi Asha worker anm so we we were trying our best to be in touch with all of these people but there were moments you know when uh, the information could not reach us as fast as it should and then it was difficult for a limited team to take care of such large settlements and such large populations and the fourth challenge i had was uh, we bordered madhya pradesh so, we were like a. We had an interstate border in Dharni, And uh, controlling inflow and outflow from Madhya Pradesh was a big challenge. I mean, we had three formal Nakas, but then there were a lot of inroads which uh, led to Madhya Pradesh and a lot of rural roads, you know, and people would just not. And so much uh, uh, business actually happened through Madhya Pradesh.
0: One of the challenges that a lot of, at least, um, You know, people living in urban areas and also I've heard in the smaller towns faced was the whole infodemic. Like there was a lot of fear and a lot of panic being spread. What was the situation for you there? Um, Were there similar sort of uh, panic around this or you didn't really have those kind of challenges?
1: No, I mean, I, I feel like, you know, there's good panic and there's bad panic. So the good panic keeps people inside their houses. So you tell people that, you know, this is an extremely bad thing. And that panic, I feel like we really needed in rural communities because they were like, hey, nothing is happening. You know, we have to, and they asked very valid questions because they were like, Achha, if we are going to live in our house, then who is, we are not salaried employees, right? There, there's not there no salaries coming into our accounts. So we have to go out and what, what do construction workers do? What do agriculturists do? And what do farmers do? And there were all these questions that were very difficult for us to answer because you have to get the not only economy running, but then my question always used to be that, you know, death is death. So if somebody is dying due to hunger or if somebody is dying because of malnourishment, it's equivalent to a COVID death, right? Like you can't say that you stay inside, but then you die because of hunger. You have to give all these alternative arrangements to people. So for a while, uh, the bad panic for us was, like I said, our own people. Uh, who uh, said that, you know, we're not going to like engage with people now. And how do you tell public health functionaries that, you know, this is your job, even when it involves a lot of risk. So it took that uh, the time of those two, three months where, you know, we were naturally evolving and we were uh, coordinating all these efforts. In fact, um, every day I had to get up in the morning. And the first thing I had to do was go to the market and see um, what what is the situation with the market. Is every one person wearing mask or not? Because I constantly kept telling people that we cannot afford to have COVID in Dharani. You know, I mean, it would wreak, wreak havoc if we have even 10 cases in this city. Because for us, the containment area of even one house would have involved the entire city and the market and the hospital. So I said that, you know, if you're going to have a containment zone of that sort, then how are you going to uh, manage anything at all? so you know for us precaution was like uh, a necessity we had such fights with merchants association because they would uh, say that you know how can you shut down our shop for let's say uh, somebody not wearing a mask because for people it was like you know it's such a small thing but for administrators we knew that you know what is the consequence of something as small as this So then we started, uh, I mean, the whole transparency drive, uh, we started where we said that, you know, by the end of the day, every fine that we are collecting or every shop that we are shutting or every FIR that we are launching has a video evidence attached to it so that nobody can tell us. As an administrator, it was very difficult for me because I've always used to feel like, you know, I am somebody who likes listening from people, who likes uh, doing collaborative administration and saying that, you know, people know things and I don't. Uh, but when this whole uh, disaster struck and, you know, I was made incident commander and it was like, you know, now you have disaster management ka powers, I had to understand that, you know, for me, public health is the first priority right now. I mean, I don't think I like doing it. It was it was a phase where I was at conflict with who I am as an administrator also.
0: I'm I'm glad you brought that point up because I think one of the common things that was coming up when I was speaking to other people was also about, you know, that, listen, we didn't want to be so strict, but we had to become so strict, whether it's by the government of India or by the media, it's at, at, at a certain point. And, you know, the sort of um, the COVID rules that came out also had a lot of policing language. So just coming down to the language part of it, because you know you are someone who believes in collaborative administration, right? And this is something that just went against the core of what you actually believe in. So for you, how, how did you navigate this and how important was it? You know, or was there any point, for example, where you realized that now I need to put, say, a comms plan in place um, or was it more driven by the disaster management guidelines that were already there?
1: No, for me, it was never driven by disaster management guidelines because um, the the Danda part of administration was kept only for people who would do really badmash things, you know. I mean, for example, there was a time when I got a call at 1.30 in the morning from one of my health workers and she said this man threw a stone at me, you know. And she said that, you know, I am uh, I'm, I don't even have my husband here. I have my in-laws living with me. And she said that, you know, I was just asking him to be quarantined and he got drunk and then uh, because I told him that you know you're not supposed to get out of this building he came and threw a stone and then my in-laws got really scared now you know as an SDM I, I'm not supposed to tolerate something like that and you can't I mean my my point was that you cannot attack a health worker at this point of time so then the next day I went and I served him a show cause notice under 107 I took a bail uh, I took a non-bailable warrant and I said you know you give me all this which I think uh, is also my public duty because I am protecting the health worker as much as I'm protecting the the uh, population but other than you know one or two isolated incidents of this sort um, the general narrative for us in Melghat was was to have a comms platform in fact that was um, the journey that we had had in mailghat even otherwise because in tribal areas you know it's not um, it's not all okay otherwise also uh, apart from the pandemic also we are dealing with uh, health issues and we are dealing with nutrition issues so that trust cannot be broken between the administration and people which in many ways and in many areas is at a lot of times so um, before the pandemic hit in fact we were actually working on a common platform with NGOs and we had launched something called Trialogue Mail which was uh, a common platform for the community for the NGOs and for the government to have a common discussion about issues and I'm very fortunate that you know, something like that happened before COVID uh, struck because uh, we had had a meeting of all NGOs and uh, the government in January, and everybody had presented their entire work. And then we had this WhatsApp group called Trialog Milgat, all NGOs were added, co- people from communities were added. So, this whole commons platform actually helped us navigate through COVID entirely. I mean, even for these Badmash activities, sort of thing. There were times when, you know, I did not have to intervene. I would just tell somebody that, you know, this is happening. So you please handle it at at your level. I had to strike a balance between saying that, you know, I am compassionate, but I am also disciplined. You know, there's a threshold uh, to which I would tolerate um, anything. But then beyond that point, I have to take care of the people. uh, Otherwise, and understand that, you know, COVID, uh, one person can actually affect 1000 people. So, you know, if I have to stop that one person to stop them affecting thousand people, then I will have to do it no matter whether I like it or not. But um, the kind of communication we had was number one, you know, rooted in people's language. That has been extremely important for me because I realized that when people talk to me in my language... Um, it means very different things for me uh, and when we come to Maharashtra as civil servants we are told that you know you have to learn Marathi and you have to pass Marathi exams uh, so that you can talk to people in their language so when I go to a tribal area and I see that you know 80% of people here speak Korku then I feel like even if some nobody is telling me the administration would be much better if I talk to people in their language and for me more than the message it's also the spirit of administration. The administration is saying that you know I want to converse with you in your language and I want this banner to be a part of my grievance redressal platform So, uh, with COVID, uh, we used to give a lot of... I mean, our YouTube channel started um, a while back. I mean, of course, it was also a part of what we were doing otherwise also. So, one thing that I always tell people is that, you know, for us, managing COVID was not separate from what we were doing otherwise also. You know, it was an extension of us engaging with people. In fact, it was an opportunity for us to uh, build more trust with people so that it could help us in what we were doing otherwise also. For for us, it was like a... um, an incident that is happening and probably gives us an opportunity to gel with people and say that you know we are here and we are taking care of you so why don't you allow us to do this otherwise also you know if we can handle this then we can handle other aspects of your lives also so we used to give a lot of interviews and slowly slowly i realized that you know my office since sdm and project office is the apex office in that particular subdivision then we started using the youtube channel and we started using all these things to reach out to people we started using ngos in a huge way very
0: interesting point that you brought out about language right like using their own language apart from that what were some of the other tools that you used i know you mentioned the youtube platform but i'm trying to understand maybe if you could give me a sense of like One, the access to internet in Mailghat itself, how many people could actually, you know, use YouTube and did you also then use WhatsApp as a platform for dissemination and what were the other modes of dissemination of information there?
1: So, WhatsApp was very normal. I mean, uh, the access to internet is such that apart from core villages, we have, there's this BBNL project that has been running which provides uh, internet connectivity in the Gram Panchayat. So even if people do not have, let's say, individual mobile phones where they can access internet, we used to have a lot of exercises where we would bring people in Gram Panchayat, put this up on a projector. Or, uh, in fact, when we started our vaccination drive and the whole Corona Haratiwa, the serial that we launched, usme there is this NGO who used to go on a cycle and they had a loudspeaker on the cycle. And they would say that, you know, even if you're not playing the video, uh, people are doing their activities in the farms, and they are listening to what is going on in Korku, because that's I don't I think between a video that is playing in Marathi and an audio that's playing in Korku, people would pay much more attention to what's playing in Korku, and that has been my experience. I mean, even on the field when we interact with people, uh, there's a lot of difference between when I say "Kaki tum zanav uh, which is you know what is your name in Marathi. To uh, Kaki Amajumchui which is your what's your name in korku so when I meet people and I even in my broken language when I used to speak korku there's that trust that I establish with people and they say that you know she's trying
0: The point that Dr. Sethi is making is about gaining trust while working with different communities. The videos in which the doctors are speaking in korku is spoken by at least six Lakh indigenous people from central India the coronavirus,
1: the coronavirus, the coronavirus, the coronavirus. For the Korku
0: speakers, a doctor speaking in their mother tongue also means getting over the mistrust that many tribal people have towards public health
1: systems. She's trying to sort of fit in the culture and if she's walking 50% of the way, then we should walk 50% of the way. So WhatsApp we used in a huge way for the NGO platform. And what it did for me was very simple. In fact, you know, when I tell these things to people, I feel like this is common sense. You know, you're engaging with people in their language and you're using an NGO platform. uh, Seems like very little things. But I've also realized that it was was these little things which actually changed so much of what we were doing. It was that trust. It was that faith. It was these small um, things. So, for example, for the NGOs, like for example, Narega was so important for us because we did not want to have people migrate. So um, when the first wave struck, in fact, the major issue for us was migrants. Uh, and Ma- mailgard has a lot of out-migration. The first challenge was that if they are coming in a scattered manner, then how do we quarantine everybody? Where do we quarantine everybody? And that was the time that we did a very simple thing. And we did not have a lot of funds for helpline and toll-free helplines and all of that. So I called three people in my office. And I said, you all three of you have mobile phones. And I said, three mobile phones will become helplines for this office. And I'm going to, I went on Facebook. And by this time, we had around uh, 600 followers on our Facebook page. And I released a video uh, saying uh, that, you know, uh, we would like to have all, all of our migrants back. But, uh, and I said that, you know, I know that a lot of you are actually stuck in various locations. And in Mailghat, people speak either Korku or Hindi. So I released this video in Hindi, saying that, you know, you uh, and you have to So you have three numbers, and we flashed these three numbers. And we said that, you know, please call us, register on uh, this helpline, and we will send buses to you. We There were around 3,000 views uh, on that video in like half half a day and we got around 6000 calls in the next three four days lot of people calling us that you know we are stuck in kalyan we are stuck in pune and then i remember 15 days being so difficult for us because in the middle of the night you know we used to get calls and then immediately we had to put up a structure that you know yeah this person has called now you take care of this you call this person and then organize where this person has to come and i think we got people back from 13 uh, uh districts slash states uh and we got them in buses that we sent we were given Permission to use funds from nuclear budget from the tribal development department, and around four thousand people were brought back in uh, in in all these buses. And the good part for us was. Um We could actually quarantine these people In a very systematic manner So we had kept residential tribal schools As quarantine centers Because schools were closed Uh, We arranged food and all these supplies there And we told people that you know You come down If you want to make food We will let you do that also And in these quarantine centers We realized that you know We could control a little bit of COVID at that time Because we did not have massive uh, people Migrating into all these villages So our networks were very These NGO networks for example Were very Helpful to me in WhatsApp because they were my eyes and ears on the field. And I used to say that, you know, anybody who comes to uh, the Gaon and is unreported, any NGO, any person, just drop a message in the WhatsApp. And then from that network, we used to sort of start our year Now, this happened uh, till June. So, a lot of people actually come back by June because they have to start sowing their fields. In June, the kharif season starts. The other challenge now I had was I could not let people migrate that particular year. So then the other thing started about MIJS and we said that, you know, we have to provide work to everybody so that people do not migrate for petty wages. So there's, of course, you know, there's distress migration and there's aspirational migration. Aspirational migration is very little and that's all right. You know, people take care of themselves. they have the resources to do it, but we did not want distress migration to take place. So again, in uh, September, October, we started planning our MREGS works and then we launched MREGS helplines. And we said that, you know, anybody who is in the village and does not get work or any NGO who goes on the field and finds that, you know, this person is not getting work should just... Call us or drop a message in, uh, and a lot of calls and WhatsApp messages actually came. So I'm happy. In fact, last year, uh, Melgaha generated around 61 lakh person days of work, uh, and that was Chikaldar and Dharni were number one and number two blocks in the state uh, for MREGS work. In fact, I mean, uh, Amravati district, the part uh, of chikhaldar and Dharni, it generated 1 crore, 1 lakh person days, and the second district in Maharashtra was only Gondia with 52 lakh. You know, so that was the amount of uh, MREGS work that we could do in Melghat. And uh, I mean, I am of the belief that a lot of people could actually find work because of these helplines. And uh, I mean, what I want to say ultimately is that we have to take care of supply and demand. So we have to say that, you know, administration is ready to sort of give you work. Or or uh, uh, provide covid ka preventive measures. But we oft also have to keep a demand side open and tell people that, you know, if we've not reached out to you, then you reach out to us through this XYZ channel. And for me, uh, using WhatsApp, using helplines, and ultimately using YouTube, all of these were methods of reaching out to people, apart from the conventional methods of newspaper and hoardings and all of that for people who were not very tech-savvy.
0: to mm-hmm. Wow, that's like a lot of work and uh, incredible In fact, uh, uh, Coming to the second part, I think there was once the vaccines, the conversation around vaccines began, there was a lot of initially within the uh, even in the urban and the rural areas, there was a lot of vaccine hesitancy and fears around vaccination. Can you tell me a bit about what were some of the fears that you came face to face among, I mean, what were the fears among the people and what were the kind of questions you were posed with? And the second part of that is how did you handle it?
1: So, uh, uh, fear, to, I mean, I have seen uh, such contrasting aspects of uh, Korku life. And, you know, I uh, just to just to give you an example, I mean, Chikhal and Dharni have the highest sex ratio in Amravati district. I mean, if you go by, uh, the, the I, I think I've never seen female feticide and things like that in Melgaat. You know, the it, the tribal culture does not allow for uh, differentiation between a male and a female. In fact, in a lot of households, you would actually find the woman doing much more than uh, the boy is doing, you know, in terms of padhai, in terms of career, in terms of sports. I mean, a lot of women actually go ahead and play volleyball and things like that. So that's one aspect of uh, the whole Korku culture. The second aspect is, for example, very contradictory is they believe in Bhumkas, which are like the local healers in their villages and they just not go to doctors. Now, I feel like to me, it's not really a contradiction because when I look at uh, the life that they're living when, when a hospital is four hours away, And they've seen all these years of, you know, doctors not really speaking their language, not really understanding their culture. Then obviously they, you know, resort and fall back on somebody they could really trust who actually understands them. And medicine is much more about uh, overall healing rather than just treating a disease. And uh, when we started vaccination, uh, the biggest challenge for us was a lot of rumors coming out of Madhya Pradesh also. You know, and we had easy access to uh, those newspapers and what Madhya Pradesh people are saying, rather than what Maharashtra mein, uh, people are saying. And the language, you know, again creates a barrier because they don't really—they're very unlikely to read Marathi newspapers. So they would read Hindi newspapers. And I remember in second wave, there was this news in Madhya Pradesh ka paper saying that after you take uh, second dose of vaccination, you become a magnet and things start, uh, Thing you start, your skin, there was a picture, would you believe, really, there was a picture which actually showed something being uh, attached to the baju of somebody, and I said, things are already so bad, and you know, how can they post news like these and all that, Um. so when we started, there were there were cases where, you know, my medical team would go to a village and stand there for four hours together, and Everybody has gone to the field and they would be like, you know, we are not coming back. And it was difficult for us to do even 30 vaccinations a day. And my collector used to call me and tell me that, you know, in other blocks, people are uptaking and they're asking every day that, you know, give us more vaccine. And in your block, like it's been three days. So when do you want more vaccine? You know, that was the place where we started from. and It was very difficult for us initially. And then we were like, you know, now what do we do? Like, how do we plan this strategically? And where do we go from here now? And so we took one small decision. And we said that instead of, you know, catering our efforts all everywhere and saying that, you know, you try doing this everywhere. I said, you give me one village where you can do 100% vaccination. Find a good village and, you know, create. And you will not believe uh Melgat had the first village of maharashtra which got 100% vaccinated 45 plus when it started so when that happened uh, there was a news in times of india you know that uh, this particular village in chikaldara becomes 100% vaccinated first village in uh, Melgat to do so and people were like wow you know melghat got and that, that was how we used the journalism also to our advantage so i said that you know i have 400 different areas and I should sort of strategically uh, think about how how I have to do these things. So, when that happened, in the next two weeks, three villages around this village get 100% vaccinated. So, then I started calling these villages COVID-free zones. And I used to say that, you know, see now, I used to go to villages and I used to tell people, look, these people are not going to have COVID now. And if you have it, then what are you going to do? And um, I feel like for me also, when I used to go to villages, I would never request people that, you know, you should get vaccinated. I would tell them, look, you're, you are part of the problem and you're part of the solution. It's not my job to solve everything for you. I mean, if you're not going to do it, then I mean, I would get transferred and I used to tell them that, you know, you're going to live here for so many years and it's your job to do this. So I started uh, involving Sarpanchis in a huge way. Then we started thinking that, you know, how do we build communication with people and how do we reach out at scale? Because, um, of course, we were doing things at on the field and we were saying that, you know, um, uh, health workers should reach out and we had all these strategies we used to meet our medical officers uh, every week tell me which small villages um, are such where you know you can build a force of let's say 10 good people who can convince more people and let's start from there so initially you remember how supply was also quite little so we used to say okay, okay this is the um, vaccine that we have and we cannot you know scatter it and say that Aise karna hai. so I said you find villages where you can uh not scatter your resources also go do a focused uh, vaccination usme maybe there were times when we used when we would think that this is a village where we would be able to do 70% but we would be able to do only 20 because when we used to go nothing would happen Then uh, we started doing this small thing where we started doing pre vaccination meetings. So, one day before the vaccination, the entire team would sit in the chopal with people, answer their questions about the vaccination, and say that, you know, whatever your doubts are, you let us know. So, in some of the villages where uh, we used to feel that, you know, a good result can come, I used to go one day before and I used to sit with people. And my thing was that, you know, I don't think I ever negated people's doubts. Like, if somebody tells me, that you know, mehreko 20 saal Like you know, I've never had anything. I have not had a fever. Why should I take vaccine? And I think it's a valid question. You know, I mean, it's not. I can't just say that you are a fool, you are a stupid, you are idiot. And that's just you know a bad way to address it in an administrative manner. So I used to tell them that you know, kaka, sahi bol And there's this one admi who actually told me that um, there was already a vaccination drive that was done. He said, "Did you come and meet me?" After I got vaccinated, did you even ask me how am I doing after the vaccine? And I said, you are absolutely right. You know, we should have come and we did not. And we are sorry for that. And so next time uh, that we took that as feedback and then for every vaccination session we did, we made sure that our teams are going the next day asking everybody, how are you doing so that they feel a little safe that uh, all that is happening. And even after all that, um, our our vaccination rate was not very good. So then we said that, you know, now... um, what do we do? So we started building. I I told people that I need to start a constant communication. You know, a communication that's not limited to one video, one year. That you know, you should do this, you should do that. So we thought of doing a serial, and I said, let's start a humpanch jesa episode. And uh, so we thought of this uh, serial called Corona Harega Mailghat which was in in Korku. Uh, it was Corona Harateva Mailghat So we randomly like shot, uh, we got this, um, and the only thing for me was it has to be in Korku. It has to have Korku people. None of us should come into that video at all, except the production and uh, direction. We called this pediatrician who was a Korku himself, and we made him sit along with the counselor who was a Korku. And she sort of started the first question saying, what is COVID? You know, what exactly is this virus in Korku? And then he he was somebody, you know, people really respected because he was a doctor from his their their own community. And then, you know, they were like, he's become such a big deal uh, coming from the community. So he spoke about covid and he spoke about testing and he spoke about taking the vaccine so that, you know, in one day it got like one thousand eight hundred views. And we, we were like, you know, people are engaging with this and all this is happening so then uh, a lot of our own ASHA workers, our own Anganwadi workers who were scared and who had not taken vaccination, uh, for at least for them, all of them had phones because they were a part of our own. And uh, apart from that, then uh, we started going to vaccination sites. And when we uh, went to vaccination sites, there were a few things that I started noticing. So for example, now see urban areas are very different from rural areas. So rural areas, mein na, you can't use the same strategies urban areas may people respect privacy and you know they want when they're getting vaccinated they would like to be in a separate room and then you have all these waiting and a lot of our policies are actually driven uh, by those same behavioral methods that we see in urban areas but then we changed it to tweak it a little bit for us in rural areas and we said that you know uh, in one area, I had gone, and there was a vaccination camp in an anganwadi, in a school or anganwadi, where you know one person would go, and then nobody would see that person. That person would get vaccinated, come back, and baki ke log are saying hum we will not take vaccine because of what? Because of some anxiety or some fear they have uh, in their ear. So we uh, got tents and all that, and in half an hour we uh, set up this uh, chopal, jaha like you know where people sit, like we'll keep the camp there. So uh, nobody's coming and there's this one Kaki who is, you know, walking and she came and she said, give me vaccine. So we said, Kaki, did you have breakfast? She said, no, I'll go have breakfast, but I want vaccine. She said, no, I don't care what anybody else is saying, but I want vaccine. So <laughs> for us, na, the thing used to be that we had to have 10 people. Otherwise, we could not open a vial. So we said, up are people from? And there were a lot of times when we just trusted that, you know, we'll get 10 people and we would at least find three and open the vial. So, um, we said, Kaki, you come. So, then she came after having breakfast. Then I found a police patil in the uh, village who was not vaccinated and I said, you come. Then I found uh, one serpent, and I said, you come. Now, for the first set of vaccination, first vaccination that we did, the entire team would, you, you know, just come. And in the chopal, the benefit was 60 people were standing looking at that Kaki that, you know, oh, she is going to get vaccinated. And then I would, you know, hold her uh, hand when she was getting vaccinated and we would all like, you know, stand there with her and say that, you know, oh, you're going to get vaccinated. And then the moment she'll get the vaccine, we would all clap for her that you know wow what a hero you know you've gotten vaccinated then we would make videos of her ki or, and then you know people are just standing there so then out of 10 people one person would say ki acha, then we would clap for like that person also like the fourth fifth person and so many number of times uh, in another village where I went three hours nobody has come and after a point toh, I became so um uh, yay I told the serpents that I am going to sleep with you in your house tonight if you don't let me open a single file also Ke, I send my health team has come from so far I am not sending them back without 10 people so I said you can see and serpent is like, I said, I don't care. You, you are the serpent, you have to take leadership. So she went to this shadi. and she's like, chalo, chalo, she got people from this shadi. And then they sat with me. And I answered their questions and they said, uh, I said, No, my Anganwadi worker will get Aadhar from your houses. So I made them sit in front of me and I said, You will sit here only. She went to their houses, she got their Aadhaar. Then eventually, you know, we started realizing a lot of people say that we didn't have so then we started keeping water and biscuits at our vaccination sites. And we we're like, yeah, so ka hai. And we would be like, Kya, chha, nahi you sit here and you eat. and But you have to take vaccination. Then we tailored our vaccination timings. We said, you know, our office opens at 9. But if people are going to field at 7, then our vaccination will, team will be there at 7. And the narrative we used to tell people was that, you know, in urban areas, people are going to vaccination centers and not getting any. And, you know, here we are coming to your doorstep and we are telling you that, you know, you can get vaccinated and prevent yourself and this is an opportunity you have to take. So in a lot of villages, I mean, as an administrator, what I've realized is uh, sometimes... Um, You have to do a public drama. You have to talk about things. You have to do all these things, not for your own sake, uh, but for the sake of spreading into people what the kind of work that we are doing, uh, the kind of challenges we are facing. And it really helps to uh, sort of speak as much as you want to speak, uh, disseminate as much information as you can so that people understand that they are a part of this. So our um, episode, then the second episode uh, we did with uh, this particular medical officer who had done 100% vaccination. So then I asked, we asked him that, you know, how did you do it? What role did police parties uh, play? What role did the uh, doctors play? You know, so every episode would have a theme and we did around eight to nine episodes uh, every week. So every week we would release one episode and there was this 22 year old girl called Nisha. Uh, she came in and she said that you know I am doing all these meetings in my village and she said I've made a COVID committee of all women who are going to each household and doing all this and I was really impressed I was like you know this, she seems very promising and I've thought Ke, yaar, she's very young I'm not sure if she's going to do this or not but I said Theek hai, I'll keep a camp in your village so she was so amazing when I went to that village in the morning, she was actually sitting herself doing registrations for people because otherwise, you know, serpentes have this air of uh, haughtiness around them that, you know, hum kyu kare. she was actually registering everybody. And she took this decision for her village saying that there's only one rasta to go in and out and she kept the camp exactly at that place. So she said, if, you, if you're going out or if you're coming in, you have to take the vaccine. Otherwise, you can't live in this village. And see, that kind of decision I can't take because then people will tell me that you're anti-people. What is this? We don't. But when a serpent takes that decision, then people are on board because they're like, you know, somebody from our community has done it. Where in the evening when we went, there were 10 people standing in front of me and we said we don't have vaccines. You know, it's the first day where we, our supply was actually less than the demand. And and that came in the newspapers. And then, you know, Indian Express did a piece on Nisha saying that, you know, um, uh, that how she actually went around uh, processing this and all. Then a lot of interviewers came that, you know, Melgat may vaccination but hai. Rahul Gandhi tweeted once uh, on on some mail guard story that happened in India. pen. And I was not doing, I was not trying to do anything. But because of these things, uh, people started understanding that you know, uh, footage mil rahe. Like you know, even sarpanches and even field workers. So, every time a journalist would come to me and say that you know, I want to do a story, I would let them speak to some medical officer, some sarpan, some AM worker. And I said, you know, these people need visibility because they're the ones who are doing it. I had this one uh, MPW worker who had not seen her daughter. Uh, from the past six months uh, from the time she had been born he was doing whatsapp calls and all that and he said that you know i can't go because i have to take care of people here and then he said how do i you know sort of risk infection so then i wrote about him on my facebook and i said that you know i'm so touched to see that people are giving so much public service uh, at this moment and then that somebody picked up and they did a story on him So for me, like, it was like this entire universe coming together and saying that, you know, uh, not only me, but if something good is happening, then we, you know, sort of give it a positive um, uh, stimulus and then increase it more and then increase it more and then increase it more. Uh, But the language part, definitely, I feel like, in, I mean, you know, from the time of uh, Jawaharlal Nehru, when he used to talk about tribal communities that, you know, our administration cannot deal with tribal communities in the manner we are dealing with other rural communities, because they're not as open, you know. So even if today, when you go meet tribal communities, they will, they'll be really shy. They'll not talk to you until unless you want to talk to them. They really like giving you private space. If you don't want to talk to them, they'll tell them, okay, you just sit in this room, have water. We don't want to talk to you. But, um, But, you know, they like talking to you if you like talking to them. So if you open out uh, about the nice things, about the good things, and you want to listen to them, then I think the world is there to explore.
0: So I know where you're coming from when you talk about the bumkas or the traditional healers. Um, And you said that you were working with them even prior to COVID, right? How did you work with them during the pandemic itself? And how did you sort of bridge that gap, you know, especially... I, I mean, I don't know what the rate was in the second wave in terms of infection in, in, in mailgard, but um, were there any instances where people then were still fearful to go to hospitals or was that fear not there at all?
1: No, no, we had, oh my God, there was so much uh, fear. In fact, in between, uh, I call it uh, probably mindless policing because in, in the middle, I actually made it compulsory for PHCs that no matter who comes to you has to get mandatorily tested. And, you know, it sounds like a good policy that, you know, you're trying to um, uh, find cases and you're trying to quarantine. But it actually uh, fell back because people stopped reporting to PHCs after I said that, you know, everybody has to get mad. And then I realized that, you know, what I want is for people to not die. I want them to uh, come to the hospital and at least get treated because if now I've made them so fearful that I'll, I'll not even report to the primary health center, then it becomes difficult for me to give them follow-up treatment. So then I said that, you know, one thing that we started doing that time is uh, we collaborated with an NGO and they actually gave us packets of medicines. So let's say simple paracetamol, azithromycin, doxycycline, uh, the ones that we had to give as precaution for COVID. So we told them, if people are not reporting to PHCs, the moment there is a fever case, we told Asha that the moment there is a fever case, you start medicine you know, give this packet to them. And then this organization actually gave us 8,000 packets of medicine. Abhi, uh, pandemic mein, uh, there was, there were a lot of people who actually started saying that we don't want to come to hospital and hum yahi pe mar jayenge, but hum hospital nahi because you would, you know, not let us meet uh, our relatives and all that. So then, in fact, in Dharni we had to set up a COVID hospital in three days. I still remember collector calling me and telling me that uh, now you can't send your patients because we already have a lot of patients at other places. Stop referring patients. (laughs) He said that do something at your level. Tell me what you need. So three days we put up a 60 bed COVID hospital in SDH. And uh, again, collaborations were so helpful. I mean, it might seem like a very small thing, but we had a teachers union uh, in uh, uh, Dharni, And they said that, you know, what can we do? They came to me and I said that, you know, why don't, can you build a network where you actually go and meet people who are in the hospital? We cannot allow all relatives to go in. But I said, could I give you two PPEs and two of you who are good at communication and who know Korku, you can probably go in and, you know, start talking to patients, take a video caller with you and let them speak with their relatives bahar so so that, that the panic is lesser and they can go back to their homes and tell people that, you know, our people are being taken care of. So for us, the word of mouth was extremely important because communication is useless if you're not uh, doing a proper service delivery of your schemes. Ultimately, what people want is to be taken care of. So as long as you are taking care of people and they can go back home and tell somebody that you know Wahan pe milta hai, then the Y person would say that you know if X person had a good experience then I would also go. So a such thing they used to do, this teachers union started cutting fruits at their homes in the morning and they started packing it up and they used to give fruits to people uh, in our hospital. And you would not believe I've gone to COVID uh, hospital so many times, COVID ICU and all these places. The environment that I have seen in my SDH and the I was posted in uh, IGMC Nagpur also in between uh, in COVID ICU and for the hospital. The environment that I've seen in other hospitals and the environment I saw in STH was very different, you know, because in STH, it was just like these teachers would just come in at 12 o'clock every day and then they would like, you know, just sit at every, uh, sit with every patient and then like, kaka, kaise ho, ar ghar pe chal rahe? and then, you know, apke liye fruits uh, the, It was just so much lighter. So, when I used to go to meet all these patients uh, every Saturday, I used to go and I would ask them that, you know, how are And they're like, ha, uh, We had a very compact team. Uh, in fact, we did, there's only one physician in the entire Melghat and he also runs a private, I mean, Dr. Satav is there. He also helped us a lot. But in this um, compact resources, in this uh, very little resources, I mean, MBBS doctors came up and said that, you know, we would learn how to operate a ventilator. If we don't have a physician, then that is what we have to do. And these MBBS young doctors played such an important role for me because I would go there and I would say, are things okay? And they're like, no, you don't worry, we will manage. I had an excellent medical superintendent uh, called Dr. Rekha who actually managed so beautifully. And there were small, small things that we had to do. But, you know, the team of 10, 12 people who were there, They were like, you know, this is what we have to put in uh, to take care of everybody and we will do that. But uh, over a period of time, I would like to mention that this whole thing where, you know, people would say we don't want to go to hospitals and we don't want to report was for 15 days. Our life was very difficult. In fact, we had a lot of deaths. I mean, uh, uh, people started reporting to us at one particular time that, you know, people are dying because of no reason and we've not really tested these people also because they've not come for testing but in those 10-15 days uh, we built our hospital and we started reaching out to people and then we started taking care of people the fear that people had was we don't want to go to Amravati because in Amravati uh, the language becomes different the entire uh, universe for them is different I mean I always joke and tell people that you know for them going to Amravati is us going to America That is how they actually feel when they go to Amravati. So um, we kept a counsellor at the entrance of SDH and uh, we used to tell her that you know now you become a bridge between their relatives who are standing outside and the people who are inside and of course we were very strict also I mean you know if a relative cannot go inside a relative cannot go inside like that was also the discipline that I had to put in I had to say that no matter what happens this is not allowed but I will put in place systems where you don't feel emotional and you don't feel panicked about it so sometimes I used to go inside covid care center I used to go inside uh, patients and we made sure that you know somebody is there for them and definitely in the next 10-15 days or so um, the the larger uh, nature of people's resistance changed but I think I would still say that even today um, it, it's not 100% you know I mean there are people who say that because they have this fear and I think that's universal. It's not, I mean, if, even if today somebody tells me that you have to go to a hospital without your husband and without your family, you would for a moment say that, you know, I, I would rather be at home. It's something that's there in all of us. It's not just them.
0: But overall, if you had to comment on the, um, the health communications that happened around nationally during COVID, phase one and phase two, how would you, how would you react to it? How, I mean, what could we have done better?
1: i think uh, i think our contextual um, administration is sometimes very very broken you know we expect that uh, what what is what comes from above just goes in that fashion to everybody uh, on the field and that's that just does not work you know I mean sometimes we have to uh, look at which community we are dealing with what are their practices and what are their stereotypes and you know how do we how are we even accessible to people how are we doing basic grievance redressal so you know it's the Perception and it's the uh, how we are strategizing things and how we are actually looking at our communities and the sort of accessibility we give to them and ultimately how we uh, how do we not dismiss. Their concerns and say because the information asymmetry is such that you know we know much more than people do on what is happening in the government. So you have to be compassionate and tell people that you know when they voice a concern, you have to look at it uh, as a genuine concern. I mean, I used to tell people that. tribal communities aisi rehti hain. Unko samajh mein nahi aata. Wo local I said you know my mother has been going to a BMS doctor since her childhood. And you know, I keep telling her that you have to go. To, she's not taken the vaccine; like she's taken it now. But at that point of time, I said she's an educated uh, woman. Like my parents are educated, but they still have concerns. You know, they're saying that we let let us see what is going on. And so many urban people did not take vaccination. Look at America. Like I actually used to send them videos of this whole anti-vax movement in America, and I said these are not tribal people. So I said let's not stereotype. You have to have a scientific. Mind And I think that is what the government uh, at implementation level should learn, you know, I mean, policies always seem perfect. But at implementation level, we need to have a scientific mindset and understand and ask ourselves, what are we doing wrong every day. But I'm also open to the judgment of this work and somebody saying that, you know, this is not good. And you can, there's always, you know, that space for improvement. And if we are ready to listen Uh, To that sort of space, then I think we can, the kind of work you can do with collaboration, with listening, with feedback is very different in nature and quality than the work that is done without it. I always equate administration to being a midwife myself where I'm doing the delivery, but the is of the mother, the, the mother is giving birth to the child. I am just a facilitator and I say that, you know, this is what I have, this is the situation in front of me. And given these circumstances, how do I facilitate what people want to do themselves? So I give them that facilitation, then I stand back and I tell people that, you know, I look at, I look with wonder at what people can do for themselves. And I think that's how administration is supposed to be uh, otherwise also. This
0: mini-series has been made possible by a grant from the Thakur Family Foundation. Thakur Family Foundation had no editorial control on these episodes.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode. You can now listen to all our episodes on our Android and iPhone app. Download it now.